Hello, hello. Welcome back to the Expert Edge. Uh, it's June. Oh my gosh. Isn't that absolutely crazy? I can't believe how fast the year is going. We just spent uh, a couple of days in Oklahoma, uh, which was part of a business uh, program that I'm involved in, and it was cool. Uh, I mean, Oklahoma was definitely not on my destination list, but <laughs> we had a good time anyway. And uh, so we're back here, back in Newport Beach. The kids are on summer vacation, and we are getting back into the swing of things. So uh, today's guest is actually one of my really good friends. He was a, a early mentor of mine. His name is Joe Parney. And to be quite frank, he's one of the most exceptionally talented coaches, I believe, on the planet. Uh, his understanding of human behavior, his understanding of how people uh, process emotions, how people uh, process uncertainty specifically. Uh, and in fact, in this podcast, we dive deep into the process of how you as an entrepreneur, as a coach, can help both yourself and your clients uh, process and have a better relationship with uncertainty. So it's a really fascinating conversation. I think you're going to gain a lot out of it. And he's also running a boot camp coming up pretty soon. So have a listen to the to the podcast. And if you like his stuff, definitely go and check it out. He's running a free training. It's called Uncertainty Mastery Bootcamp. And it's really about helping coaches and entrepreneurs to master uncertainty and master the, their relationship, change their relationship with uncertainty. So you can check that out on the link below on the show notes, or you can go to colinboyd.co forward slash Joe, J-O-E. Uh, so, hey, let's get into it. We're going to be talking about mastering your relationship with uncertainty with my good friend uh, and mentor, Joe Parney. You are listening to the Expert Edge Podcast. This is the place where experts come to command the stage, position themselves as authorities, and scale their business up. Get ready to access your next level of potential with your host, Colin Boy. Joe Pane, welcome to the Expert Edge. Thanks, Colin. Appreciate you having me back. <laughs> well, mate, yeah, round two. I'm excited to have you back. Uh, and the listeners probably don't know this. Well, they probably do because I've, I've introed you. But, um, you know, you've had a massive impact on my life, especially when when I was, you know, my early journeys of journeys of, of becoming a coach, becoming a life coach. Um, uh, you know, you really taught me the foundations of, for me, everything I kind of knew with life coaching. And, and it's been cool watching you evolve in your coaching journey and, and branch out, create your own brand and business. Uh, and I'm excited to share you with the world because uh, I know... Uh, you're based in Australia, but I really want to introduce you to our American clients, our Europe clients, because I just know that your work is very deep and very transformational. So uh, I'm excited to have this, have the conversation about it. So Thanks, the, big I, the big idea, mate, um, talk to me mm -hmm. about this, the big idea of today around this whole idea of uncertainty and, and the journey you've been on with this, with this idea. Yeah, so uh, as as you know, I've been I've been doing this full time, you know, doing trainings and group work and everything for the last seventeen years now. And um, the emotional fitness formula is a framework that I've created, pretty much as a culmination of all of my experiences. Where you know I've been with so many different uh, you know communities, markets, businesses. You know, you name the person with that particular background, and they've been in my room, kind of thing, right? And um, and so what I've been thinking about all these years is what is 
the single most important relationship you could possibly have. Mm. And I realized that this relationship that is the most important, the most crucial of all is not with a person. It's not even with ourselves. It's actually, well, kind of with ourselves, but it's, it's the quality of our relationship with uncertainty. And um, so my mission now has come down to one sentence, which is so powerful when you can, you know, linguistically express yourself in one in one sentence so clearly and so directly, you know, like a, a narrow focus. And so the emotional fitness formula and my sort of my contribution to the world is helping people transform their relationship with uncertainty. Mm-hmm. So talk to me about, because obviously people would have heard of the word uncertainty before, yeah. but tell me about your definition of what uncertainty is and what that could look like in different flavors of people's lives. Because because I know for me, being an entrepreneur, like it's already mm-hmm. starting to make sense in my head that, that uncertainty is going to be such a significant factor when it comes to growing my business, becoming mm. who I'm called to be, all that sort of stuff. So talk to me about your de- definition of uncertainty and some of the flavors of that and how that kind of manifests in people's lives. Yes, absolutely. Well, I mean, some expressions of it, you know, uh, challenges, um, stresses, pressures, surprises, shocks, um, forks in the road, uh, and it can even be adventurous as well. Um, the thing the thing that troubles most of us is you know, our belief system and our, our belief, everyone's got different beliefs around, you know, what uncertainty actually is. And unfortunately, a lot of people, you know, correlate uh, uncertainty with fear. And, and a belief is nothing more than a correlation of two mutually exclusive ideas. So, of course, we know that mutually exclusive means that these two ideas operate independently of each other. So fear and uncertainty are independent of each other. But if we start linking with evidence of what we're gathering in our life experience, a link, a relationship, a connection between these two ideas, it starts becoming um, part of our belief system. And and as I can't remember the fellow's name from 80 years ago, insert name here, uh, said that, you know, belief systems, you know, a belief believed in for long enough hardens into a fact. Mm. And so, so what happens is a lot of people just their default around uncertainty is, Fear, mystery, to be avoided. To be, we need to run away from it. We need to go around it. We can't, we can't embrace it. When I have discovered in my own personal life, being a fifty-three years of age, twenty-seven years married, you know, running a business, having my sons, I've discovered that that is all wrong. You can't hide. You can't go around it. You can't avoid it. You can't suppress it. You can't compress it. You have to go through it. Mm-hmm. And so, um, when and I, and I was studying in nature. We live on acreage here in beautiful nursery in Queensland, Australia. And anything in nature demonstrates clearly that the correlation is between uncertainty and fear doesn't exist. It's actually nature shows us that. I'm pointing to all the palm trees outside there. Sorry to show off. Um, But, you know, uncertainty correlates with growth. Anything in nature shows that that when nature meets an obstacle, obstacle is another word for uncertainty, when nature meets an obstacle, it grows. It's forced to grow. And if you think of anything that you and I and any of our beautiful listeners here have experienced in the past, which has been difficult, traumatic, uncertain, challenging, shocking, fork in the road, don't know which way to go, confusion, any of those moments have contributed massively to the growth of who we are as men and women. And and so uncertainty is a prerequisite. It's a seed. It's a requirement for growth. And growth, it's a perpetual need of the human spirit. And we know, again, de- defaulting to our mind in nature is that nature shows us completely all the time that 
we either green and, you know, quoting Ray Kroc from McDonald's uh, uh, history, you know, we either green and growing or ripe and rotting. And, and everything in nature is expanding or shrinking, growing or dying. Your relationship with your gorgeous wife and my, and my relationship with my wife is either growing or dying. It's everything in our body is breathing out or breathing in. Nothing stays still. All economies and markets are growing or dying. So uncertainty is something that we actually need. And this is a massive part of the transformational uh, connection with uncertainty, Cole, because what it means is that uh, if we start correlating with growth, now we can begin embracing it. We can begin going through rather than going around, hiding, or running in the opposite direction. Um, uh, so I hope I've answered your question, mate. <laughs> this is so you, you said this one phrase at the start where you said a belief is a correlation between two mutually exclusive ideas. <laughs> Dude, yep. that that'll that'll preach. That's unbelievable. I, I like first of all, I love your belief work and I know like a lot of your work is built around belief building and so forth because yes. you've had such an impact on me in my life in terms of how I built my beliefs and so and understanding beliefs. And so so what I'm hearing is the relationship with uncertainty is that people have built a they've got these two exclusive ideas. So they've got uncertainty and then they've got whatever they've attached it to. And most people have attached it to an unhealthy, unresourceful mm. kind of idea, and they need to relearn that experience with uncertainty. Is that spot on? You've summarized it beautifully. Mm, I, I love that. I'm curious about what what sparked this in you? Like, because I know you've mm. been running your business and had many evolutions of your journey over the last 17 years and many years before that, but you've also one thing I really love about you is you've also stayed incredibly true to your values. Um, I'm sure they've evolved, but but you're you're someone who truly honors your values and builds an incredible family. So you, you've created this like sense of certainty in your life, mm. but you've mm. also obviously gone after this idea of uncertainty. So mm. how did this mm. come about? What was the birthplace for this for you? Well, I, I, I at some point in my life I realized that. If we don't consciously invite uncertainty into our lives, it will come into our lives in ways that we don't like. So, you <laughs> oh, know, yeah, yeah and, and, and one of my favourite sayings that I just made up one day in one of my live trainings is that if you're not squeezing life, life will squeeze you. Either way, someone is squeezing someone. So you may as well be the squeezee. You know what I mean? So I love it. Yeah, so, so conscious inviting of uncertainty, examples of that, are, uh, well, us moving from, I mean, I know that uh, your friends are in America, but moving from Melbourne to Noosa, which is about a 3,000-kilometre difference in uh, different climate, different everything. Our family is down in, in, in south in Melbourne, friends, family, the whole thing, and we moved here with, without knowing anyone. Without, we haven't got time to explore the nooks and crannies of that journey, but that was a conscious invitation to uncertainty. Now, how did we decide to do that? Um, well, Something that really matters when it comes to emotional fitness and to answer your question about uh, values and certainty is we've got to be loyal to our emotional compass, our emotional compass. And our emotional compass is my way of defining what a value actually is. So people often confuse, and, and the reason why a lot of people don't know their values or lack clarity of their values is because they confuse their emotional compass with their moral compass. Everyone's got a moral compass. A moral compass is uh, 
the fundamentals of the differences between right and wrong. You know, don't steal, don't rob, don't cheat. The examples of moral uh, descriptions or moral flavors are, you know, responsibility, honesty, respect, integrity, um, wisdom, doing the right thing. Now, we all know that doing the right thing around the globe, the definition of that changes immensely. I mean, just go and talk to, if he was still alive today and you were able to access him, ask Hitler what the right thing is, and it's a different definition to what you and I would have. It's an extremely ridiculous, extreme example, but you get my point. Mm. Um, So most people confuse moral obligation with their values. Moral obligation is doing the right thing by society, by the community, doing the right thing on the road when you're driving. That's the, the reason why the road in westernized society generally works well is because we've got uh, a moral compass that says to us, don't run over the pedestrian, don't run through that red light, don't kill that kid. You know, like I'm, I'm being ridiculous, but you know what I'm saying. It keeps everyone on the right side of the road. Yeah. An emotional compass is personal. These are preferences, likes, dislikes. It's what brings you energy. And, and, and the values I've discovered aren't, uh, words, they're statements. So, for example, one of my values, this is going to sound a little bit different to what people maybe are used to, one of my values is just simply watching and observing my sons. I love watching, I've got 15-year-old twin boys, I love watching them do anything, whether it's playing cricket in the backyard or kicking the football or going for a bike ride or just hanging with their mates in the backyard, just, I don't know, talking under a tree. I just love, it's like I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a patriarchal stalker. You know, it's like, but I love that. That's an experience I love. I love preparing for it. Like I've got the Noosa Half Marathon coming up on Saturday. I love preparing for that. That's a value. A value is an experience, an action, something that you do that brings you energy, purpose, meaning, and fulfillment. It's a personal preference. And so um, one of the crucial factors that contributes to our, our emotional well-being and emotional fitness is creating a loyalty to the activities that actually bring you joy. Um, and, um, and within that is the balance, the delicate balance, the most important balance of all, which is a balance between self and others. And so our values pretty much fall into three categories. There's contribution-based values that we do for others. There's connection-based values that we do for self and others. And there's vitality-based values that we do for ourselves. Um, and we haven't got time to go into the detail of all of that, but that's that's the understanding. Okay, well, gee, okay, what are those? What are my contribution-based experiences that I love? What are my connection-based experiences that I love? What are my vitality-based experiences that I love? And when you've got all three of those, and you've got you've got them clearly stated with language, and you know they're true because you feel it, that's a value. Now, that's what I've remained loyal to all my life. My wife and I. You know, and, and it's a values-driven decision to come to this new life that we have. We've been here about a year and a half now. Um, whereas a moral compass is doing the right thing by humanity. It's a completely different thing. So um, I'm not sure if I've answered your question, Cole, but it was certainly a fine answer to some other question, but Well, <laughs> what I'm hearing is like, because I think most people don't know how to make that distinction. Of, no. of the the you know the moral or societal values that they should yes. follow to be a yeah. functional part of society and what it means to live true to themselves. Um, That's right. That's that balance, Cole. Exactly what you're saying. The self and others balance. Please, yeah, continue. Yeah. No, that's mm. great. And and 
In terms of, you know, your, I know you're writing a book at the moment and really kind of, you know, exploring this journey of uh, moving into a place of having meaning in your life and, mm. and truly having a depth of who you are and what you bring to the world. And I know that a lot of our listeners have that desire. They're not just money focused. They really are meaning focused. And uh, talk to me about the the, that journey of of going from that achievement world to the more meaningful aspirational world that however yeah. you describe it in your language yeah cool yeah great question so the essence of the emotional fitness journey or the book is is uh, that I'm writing is is called courage to be you a journey from ambition to meaning and we're all on this journey. We're all on unique journeys, obviously, unique experiences, etc. But um, on a macro pattern level, thematic level, we're all on the same journey, which is a journey from ambition to meaning. Now, what does that even mean? It means the journey from egocentric identity to heart-centric identity. It's the journey from self-absorption, moving away from that, and becoming more about giving to others without to the, without the detriment of, of, of to self. It's a it's a again the self-others uh, balance. The, the journey of ambition to meaning is ultimately where we integrate ambition into meaning. So, in other words, um, what we call success evolves along with our values and our priorities on this journey from ambition to meaning. So, in the ambition-driven world, for example, success, I mean, let me just go back a couple of steps. So, success, what is it? You know, what does it actually mean? Well, the most holistic macro definition I've ever come across is Earl Nightingale's, which was that success is the progressive realisation of a worthy ideal, yeah, of a worthy ideal. Now, worthy ideal, the definition of that evolves as we, tra- as we tra- transgress from ambition to meaning. So in the ambition-driven world, my worthy ideal is what? Winning, getting results, making a lot of money, buying lots of cool things. There's nothing wrong with any of this, by the way, if it brings you joy and you're happy with it. Uh, you know, climbing to the summit, whatever that summit represents metaphorically, your career path, your business, your whatever. Um, it's all of that. It's it's about ambition and winning and getting it. And it's that grunt work, which which I think is really, really important because it builds who you are, it builds resilience, it builds strength, it builds, it builds, it builds that grunt, if you like. But everyone who's made it to the summit all, all realizes the same thing. It's like, What's next? Is this all there is? Uh, what's the point climbing another summit like this? Well, I'm just going to arrive at the same conclusion. It's like I've got it all now. So what am I going to do? Um, and, and having it all doesn't mean that suddenly you're a, you're a you know a, a millionaire you know times ten. It doesn't what it means. It means you've got what you want, right? So then we wake up, we shake up, and our priorities start to change. And this is where a lot of people go through a a confusing period of time because their values have evolved into this thing called the meaning-driven world. And in the meaning-driven world, that worthy ideal is completely different definition. That worthy ideal is based on legacy, making a, a difference, having an impact. It's actually realising, my Lord, my life has never been about me. It's actually about others. Um, and that's, again, going back to nature, how nature actually operates is that everything in nature only exists because of its level of contribution. A cell in a leaf stays vital and healthy to the degree of which it's contributing. The moment it stops contributing, nature annihilates that cell. Very, very harsh, but very, very accurate. And it's the same in our relationships when we're in a team, when we're working with our, with our, with our communities. 
Um, our level of contribution keeps that relationship alive or not, depending on that level. So the ambition to meaning journey is that. And then the final stage, which is where most people find it really challenging, is the integration of ambition into meaning. And this is where we all need to figure out how to make money in a meaningful way, how to make money in a meaningful way, in a way that we see as, as a, a genuine value-add contribution-driven uh, mission of uh, making a difference to, you know, communities and markets that matter to us. So that's the journey we're all on. It's in between the ambition and meaning-driven world, there's this hazy revolving door because what happens is, oh, my God, what used to excite me? Why doesn't it excite me anymore? Why am I becoming disengaged with, you know, wanting to win? Why don't I care about winning anymore? Why don't I care if I'm the fastest anymore? You know, it's... Um, the, the ambition gets replaced by gratitude, appreciation, and joy, you know? Um, and uh, you think people feel lost token, sometimes in that stage? Do you think they feel lost? Clearly, in that stage? Uh, yeah. 100%. That is the very definition of getting lost, Colin, is where you're in that middle. You've got one leg in the ambition driven world, one leg in the meaning driven world. You're in a job that you don't like, uh, that the way you're making money is no longer aligned to your emotional compass, but over here, this other thing is singing to your soul. How do I make this transition? And uh, in my latest podcast, episode 86, I think it is, I talk about the power of impact hours because often people say to me, colleague, oh, well, you know, I'm working 60 hours a week, man. I've got a family. I've got these obligations. How am I supposed to make my dream come alive? If I can just take a, a couple of minutes to share with you a, a, a really powerful story, Cole, hmm. there, was this, there, there was this attorney this is a true story. This attorney, he's a lawyer. Uh, he was working 60 hours a week, uh, married, uh, having children. Their life was very full. And um, one day he was in court and he was really moved and deeply, profoundly inspired by a testimony of a young rape victim, a 12-year-old. And uh, he was so moved by that that he was inspired to start writing a novel about inspired by this case. Now, writing a novel had never entered into the orbit of this man's psychology. It was, it was that, you know, that it was that inner voice that we all need to listen to. It was this, call it soul, call it spirit, call it whatever you want. It's the God within, whatever you want to call it, speaking to us in a very subtle way, where for him it was like, write a novel, write a novel. I mean, it wasn't probably as clear as that, but it was very subtle. And all we need is three or four minutes of the ego to take over, and we can easily smother that and go, that's ridiculous. I've never, I don't, I've never seen myself as a novelist or a writer or anything like that. But this guy didn't do that. And he practiced. So what happened was he would get to the, normally for work, he would get to the office at 8.30. Instead, he implemented this, this powerful principle of what's called impact hours. An impact hour is an hour dedicated to one single task that leads to a critical, to the realization of a critical outcome, a critical outcome. So he would go to work at 5:30 in the morning, spend three impact hours writing this novel. No attachment to outcome. It wasn't about making money. It wasn't about becoming famous. It was nothing. It was just this is what my soul is, is this is where my emotional compass is guiding me to. His values, right? He spent three years doing that, created a manuscript. The manuscript was a book called A Time to Kill. The name of the attorney is John Grisham. And John Grisham then went out with this manuscript, uh, was rejected by a whole host of publishers for a long time, 
his book became a – then he got published and the book was a commercial flop. And this is an important lesson because his first novel, Time to Kill, if you watch the movie, phenomenal story. It's a phenomenal novel. And so it was just a, it was just a lack of penetration into a market that didn't know him, right? Then he wrote – he kept writing, Cole. He kept writing like the diggiest dog, just kept going. And the second novel he wrote was The Firm. And The Firm became a famous movie starring Tom Cruise – the, the novel became an international bestseller. And then when that became an international bestseller, people started looking for more Grisham work. And, of course, all he had at that stage was the first book, and the first book became a number one bestseller. This is a man that was working 60 hours a week with a, with a full life of wife and kids and all the responsibilities and obligations, and it all began with three impact hours five times a week. And so someone who is looking to dig themselves out of the ambition-driven world to go into the meaning-driven world and integrate ambition into meaning the cliche stands true. Where there's a will, there's a way. And I, and I don't cop any, any excuses from anyone who says to me, I can't because, well, whatever that reason is, that can either be the reason why you won't or the very reason why you must. So um, I, I was deeply moved by that uh, Grisham story. I thought, you know, anyone who ever says to me, I can't because, it's like, well, okay, well, what's going to change, you know? If you're not going to actually go and... Um, dedicate, you know, one, five, six hours a week that are that's dedicated unconditional action toward that critical outcome, whatever that critical, in his case, a critical outcome was manuscript, finishing the novel. Um, and here we are 50 novels later, Cole, and he's number one. I, I remember one story, he said he, he knew that he had made it in the ambition-driven world, but for him it was meaning-driven when he got a letter, an old-fashioned letter from Stephen King that said, welcome to the big time. I thought, wow. Now, that's ambition mm. with meaning. Mm. And, um, and Grisham has contributed massively to, you know, our entertainment over the years. You know, Pelican Brief is another one. There's so many books. If you saw his novelist, you go, oh, my God, I know this. Um, it's quite amazing. So I, I really hope that, that that really penetrates the minds and hearts of your listeners because at the impact hour my Lord, it's so powerful. It's so powerful. Mm. What, what, what comes up for me is, um, you know, I think about different people I've worked with and even my own journey is a lot of the time I see people, they'll, they're moving from one place to another and it's almost like they try to let go of everything in their previous world to embrace mm. their new world and then they get to their new world and they realize that, there was actually a whole bunch of things in their other world that they need to bring in and integrate, like you said, and it actually Beautiful forms thing. a more holistic experience. Like, you know, I think about John Grisham. I'm sure that, you know, him writing a novel, like it's such a like a, a obscure idea from his profession. And then probably mm. eventually he brought in a lot of his stuff that he learned as a lawyer into what he was 100%. all integrated and it became meaningful and commercial. Completely. If you read any of his novels or watch any of his movies, it's clear that him, he as an author has to know about, you know, has to know about the law, has to know. Like um, just, yeah. So, I mean, an example in A Time to Kill is, um, you know, they, they, they define what criminal insanity means, for example, and what it means is that it's someone who doesn't have a moral compass, it's someone who doesn't know the difference between right and wrong and is unaware of the consequences of that. So now that's... A, I've said it my way, but there's a there's a legal definition of that, which is not a medical condition, by the way, which is, that's a whole other conversation. But um, he, he's a wonderful example of integrating 
his skill sets into this skill set, the skill set of attorneying and lawyering into becoming a novel writer and writing specifically about characters that are lawyers in the books because all the all the books are based on a character who's a lawyer and, and the adventures of this particular fellow. So, um, yeah, there's everything in life is there that we've experienced. It is contributing mm-hmm. to who we are and, and also in some cases contributes to our future skill sets 100%. Mm, that's so 100%. good. So good. Mm. Um, I know that you work with a lot of coaches um, and experts and speakers and so forth. Uh, talk to me about your experience with working with them and them discovering their journey with uncertainty and how that impacts their coaching business, their, you know, their expert business, et cetera. Like what have you noticed and noticing even with your clients and and that journey and how you've helped them transition in that experience? Well, something to realize is that what's part and parcel of this journey are all those classic things like self-doubt, you know, being enough. I, I listened to your podcast recently, Cole, where you spoke about these fears, you know, the universal fears. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the self-doubt, low self-confidence, uh, all that kind of stuff is we need to understand that these things are completely and utterly natural, considering that most children don't make it through to adulthood with their self-esteem intact. So the way to actually overcome this, again, is not to go around it's not to hide or run in the opposite direction or hide over here behind this rock. It's about going through. So what does that mean, Joe? It means you take action because the ultimate antidote to all fear is movement, is taking action. And um, as, as I heard Russell Brunson say the other day, you know, you, you either act or you're acted on, <laughs> which is my way of saying, you know, life is squeezing us and we're squeezing. Squeezy, you squeeze it, yeah. Yeah. So, so self-doubt, which I was racked in. I mean, man, my first two or three years, even first five years, it took me until the eighth year to build a genuine, profound, grounded level of certainty. It took me eight years. And I, and, I, would, say, and, I would agree with that for me as well. Like yeah. it, it was easily eight years before I felt a sense of certainty in what I was doing. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. 100%. So what stops people is see, self-doubt is either the gain, self-doubt, low self-confidence, low self-belief, all these kinds of things, that, that sort of flavour of psychology is, so first up, one, it's normal. Two, either those, that, that bundle of reason, excuse or reason or fact or whatever you want to call it, that either becomes the reason why you won't go forward or it becomes the very reason why you will go forward. And this is where the power of choice has such a massive impact. And I just chose to ride through that because the only way that you can uh, dissolve or minimise or manage self-doubt in these kinds of issues is to take action in that area that you don't know anything about. I mean, it's of course we're going to feel self-doubt and, and all that and, and even various versions of anxiety around something that we've never done before. It's also, you know, I love what you say about you know, instead of bringing in our past identities into our our current identity is to start breathing life into the future self you, you want to become, you know. And um, that's what the essence of Courage to Be You is, you know, the essence of the book is uh, is, is learning how to uh, embrace what needs to be embraced. So a lot of coaches 
It's 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 that it's that default belief system. You know, the relationship between uncertainty and fear. It's the, you know, we I say that a, a belief is a possibility filter. You know, it really is a possibility filter. And um, if I choose to subscribe to self doubt as a dark thing and something that you know I'll, I'll keep working on myself, there's nothing to work on. You, you you just got stuff to 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 do, and whilst you take action, you let go of the shoreline. It just happens. So like any metaphor, in you know, an airplane, a train, a boat that leaves the port, a train that leaves the station, a, an airplane that leaves a runway. It's it to to move. It has to let go of where it's been. So it's the same with our psychology. So uh, I, I just made the choice to to move on. And the other thing is. I also did in my imagination. I did a, um, a a future of well, what if I don't? Okay, so there I was, thirty two, thirty three, something like that. How old was I? No, I was twenty twenty eight. I'll say thirty. I can't remember. Yeah. Um, and I remember I was working at Ford Motor Company as a rehab counselor, and uh, I'd been there for two years. And I remember thinking, so this is it. Four years of uni. I don't know what university is called in the United States. College, it's called yeah. college. College. Four years of doing my psychology and sociology degree. Uh, here I am. I've worked hard to get to where I am, which I did. And I got into this job, which was rare in the 1990s, and getting paid $45,000 plus benefits plus holidays in 1995, straight out of school, uh, was like everyone was saying to me, oh, my God, you've it's amazing. And initially it was amazing, but... I couldn't stand the job there for many, many reasons. Um, and I remember walking through the Ford cafeteria thinking, so this is it. Mm. This is how I'm going to be for the next 30 years, uh, 20 years. How long is it going to take me to pay off the mortgage? 20 years? Like, what's it going to be? So this is it. And um, and I was walking around racked in self-doubt and, and the fear of being found out. And then I didn't discover until I got into the coaching space that everyone's like that, well, most people are. And um, but it was in that moment that I realized if you keep going down this path, you're going to become a very typical depressed one living a life of quiet desperation, as Emerson said, classic anxiety depressed person. Because now let me just be very clear here before I make my next statement: anxiety and depression are complex issues. Okay, you can have five people who have anxiety and depression. All five of them will be experiencing it very, very differently from each other. So please, for those of you listening in here, tuning in, do not misunderstand what I'm about to say. I'm not, I'm saying this with the greatest sensitivity and respect for anyone who is suffering at the hands of anxiety and depression right now, as you may be listening to this, right? Not because of this, but because, yeah. So we clear. <laughs> not because of um, but but I, I found that um, uh, the way for me to, you know, I, if, if I was going to continue down that path of just, doing the job because of paying well and, you know, I've worked hard to be here. I've invested all this time at college or university and here I am. And I was just blindly dedicated to that. Um, I I would become easily a typical uh, man in his 40s and 50s who is living that life of quiet desperation, racked in anxiety and depression, uh, which would then massively impact self-esteem and all that kind of stuff. And and, and I'd I'd be a schmozzle of a man. So, uh, instead, that's when I didn't have this language back then, but that was the first time I consciously invited uncertainty into my life where I shifted careers completely. And I went into the world of residential real estate sales because I figured, well, at least here I can work with people who want to work with me. 
Whereas in in uh, the, the Ford Motor Company, I was working with people who didn't want to work with me because of all the politics and all the agendas that were going on with different things. So, um, yeah, and then getting into that space, you know, so, so for, for the point I'm making is for coaches transitioning, for coaches, consultants, leaders, uh, trainers who want to run their own show and, you know, create their own source of income, um, we all have to go through the tunnels of doubt. We all have to go through the tunnels of self-doubt um, and even anxiety and depressed mood. That happens. It's natural. Um, just remember the Wizard of Oz. The Wizard of Oz, you know, the wizard to Judy and, the you know, the, the different um, characters in that show, in that movie, the, the wizard was so scary, so mysterious, so enormous, so you know, powerful and all-conquering. And yet, if you remember in the original Wizard of Oz, there's a scene where they arrive with the witch's broom because they had to bring the witch's broom to the to the wizard as, as a, as a um, I can't remember, as a thing to give to the wizard for the sake of them getting back home, to get back home. And um, and the, the little dog, I forgot what the little dog's called. Um, Toto. You know, they're Toto. They're standing there, all four of them, uh, and the dog goes over to this curtain and pulls it and, and, and bites at it. And there's this old man on all these machines and levers and buttons, pretend to be well, was is the wizard. Yeah. And we soon realize that this big wizard, all conquering, mysterious, dark force, was nothing more than a frail old man doing the best he can to survive. And that wizard represents our ego. That wizard represents all of our fears. And um and the only reason why those fears dissolved in that show is because the main characters took action. They went and got the witch's broom. In fact, at one point in that movie, you go, how in the heck are they going to get this broom off this all-conquering wicked witch? But they found a way. So, um, yeah, and this links back to the Grisham story about impact hours. So it's it's really, at the end of the day, if, if, if a coach, trainer, leader, consultant, has has a desire to, to really change something in their lives, then I, I love working with people like that because it's a joy. But someone who is, you know, still staring at their navel, self-absorbed, you know, focusing on self-doubt FM uh, and inaction FM, well, you're, you're in for more pain, I'm afraid. Mm. Mate, uh, I know that there's going to be a lot of people listening to this who want to, you know, discover more about this experience of their relationship with uncertainty, their relationship with finding meaning in their life and transitioning in their journey. I know that you're running a three-part training series coming up. Uh, can you talk to us a little bit about what it's about, what the outcomes of it is, um, kind of who it's for? Yeah, so... Um Starting on June 29, we're running a three-part uh, series. It's called the, the Mastery, the, the Uncertainty Mastery Bootcamp. And uh, in there, we get to explore thoroughly some really useful, implementable, replicable frameworks that will help people's relationship with uncertainty transform. And um, and it's the entree. It's, a, it's a, like a big doorway, if you like, for people to come and check out, you know, what the work is, what the work is that I do. And then if people want to continue the journey with me, you know, there's an opportunity there for them to join our Emotional Fitness Formula community and, uh, you know, become accredited facilitators, uh, coaches, uh, leaders, trainers, consultants uh, in their field where 
we've designed this, well, I've designed this emotion fitness formula. So these are frameworks focused purely on that transformation of uncertainty, which can be plugged into any niche. So I've got many clients who don't work in my realm. They work in business coaching or they're strategists or they're, they're um, consultants to the engineering world or, you know, different worlds to mine. And then they, they see that wherever world they work in, there's anxiety, there's depressed mood, there's emotional issues, and they use our framework to plug in to make a massive difference to how uh, these people view themselves and, and see the world. So uh, that's the, that's the three-part series coming up that I'm very, very excited about. So um, it's, a, it's a thorough way to, I guess, trial, you know, try me out kind of thing. And then people can can make the decision from the right place as to whether this is for them or not. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, if you, if you are a coach, expert, speaker, and you know you want to really deeply understand belief structures, how uncertainty evolves, how to grow in your life, um, and how to use like emotional. He, Joe talks about the emotional fitness formula. How to use you know, uh, really easy to use frameworks. Joe's incredible. Absolutely phenomenal. I mean, for me, the frameworks that he's shown and evolved in my life has just have just transformed the way that I think. And I know for me, every time I have a conversation with him, I, I feel enlightened in my thinking about how my brain works, how my emotions work, and how I can have more choice. I think for me, a lot of the frameworks that that you bring for me, just create more like a lightness in my choice and like, oh my gosh, I actually have more choice than I realize. And I love mm-hmm. that about your work. So if anyone's interested, uh, Thanks, the, the, the link is in the show notes, but you, you can just go straight to Colin Boyd with one L, C-O-L-A-N-B-O-Y-D.co forward slash Joe. So J-O-E, colinboyd.co forward slash Joe. And that'll just take you straight through to the training series. It's completely free. And I know that, you know, Joe's, the value he'll deliver is amazing. Uh, also, yeah, you've got a so. you've got a podcast, Joe, which I I listen to regularly. Um, uh, is it just Joe Joe Parnay's podcast? What's it called again? Yeah, so the podcast is uh, called Insights. Insights, and, that's uh, right. Yeah, and if people just go to joeparnay.com.au because yeah. we're in Australia, so it's .com.au, yeah. uh, and, and you'll see the, the link to the podcast right there, or Spotify, or any of the, you know all the platforms. Yeah, um, yeah, Insights. Yeah, it's and it's uh, they're, they're short grabs, 15, 20 minute coffee conversations where we just I share an insight into the human condition. That uh, the aim of it, the intention of it is is to have someone take something practical away, um, which is what the intention also is of the uh, obviously of the of the free training series. Because what I want to do there is the impact begins with us with ourselves, and in the training I can show you how you can actually create that impact for others in a way where you get financially rewarded for it. So love it. Well, Joe, thanks for coming on the Expert Edge again, brother. I trust it's blessed uh, everyone. Guys, make sure you follow the podcast. Take a screenshot if you found this useful and you can tag me and Joe on Instagram and uh, have a great week. We'll see you next week on the Expert Thanks, Carl. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, Joe. Why is it so hard to know what content to include in your speeches and webinars? Knowing which ideas to keep in and what to leave out is the difference between just getting claps or signing clients. If you're really serious about making your content highly persuasive, make sure to download the Persuasive Content Builder while it's still available. Go to www.persuasivecontentbuilder.com and get your step-by-step formula for designing and delivering content that connects with your audience and moves them to join your programs. 
Until then, we look forward to seeing you on the next episode of The Expert Edge.